following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. We're going through the book of Acts. It's been an explosive book. It's been an amazing journey, and we're coming to the end today. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, it's the beginning of the church, the birth and the growth and the spreading of the church, God doing amazing things through all kinds of folks like the apostles and others. And so to jump right in today, because it's a really cool passage, if you can up your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. Let me know when you get there. We good? Acts 29. Okay, we're good. Everyone got it? No. Who's saying no? You don't have it? What translation do you have? You know, you got to watch. Sometimes the 99 cent store has these Bibles. But you know they're caught in a corner somewhere, sometimes leaving a page out. Acts 29, you guys good? No? Does anyone have a real Bible in here? (laughs) Acts chapter 29. Okay, look. There is an Acts chapter 29. The title of the message today is the Acts 29 church. If you guys aren't finding it, we're not going to make a big deal right now. We'll come back to this point, okay? Let's pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter 28. Later on, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 29, okay? Hold that thought. It's not going away. I can't believe you guys don't have that chapter. (laughs) Crazy, crazy. Uh, Jump in where we left off last week, if you would, please. Uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, looking at verses 16 through 31. If you don't have your Bible, this is in the bulletin. You can follow along. And we're going to learn some things about the church, what the church was doing, how God was using them, how God can use us today. And that's what's amazing about the Word of God. It's living, it's active, it's alive God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He gives us a roadmap, and he also gives us his Holy Spirit as a compass. And with the roadmap and the compass of the Holy Spirit, we can navigate anything and everything in life. Um, Some will try to look at the word without the Holy Spirit. Others will sometimes try to navigate with the Holy Spirit without the word. It's not a great combination. It's the word and the spirit. It always has been, and it always should be. And that's how the apostles, the early church, navigated And when we realize that that's where the victory is, the word and the spirit testing everything and navigating for the glory of God, a lot of great stuff happens. So um, if you want to follow along, we're going to finish up this chapter 28 today. And it starts like this, Acts chapter 28, verse 16. Paul, by the way, just came across two years of being imprisoned, and he finally made a boat journey that went through storms and everything and finally they're throwing anchors off the deck and throwing cargo the boat the ship finally got wrecked they land on an island where it's pouring rain and cold they're out trying to make a fire he gets bit by a viper shakes it right off the poison doesn't affect him before you know it he finally made it to rome and that's where the story picks up right here verse 16 when we got to rome paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make my appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people 
who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Okay, so there's this wild journey that Paul has, and you wonder sometimes in life why you go through some of the things you go through. Well, God was with Paul through everything, through shipwrecks, through storms, through everything he went through, and he finally made it to Rome. Now, some people would look at his story and say, wow, that was some really bad luck. I would suggest to you the other side of this is true. This is God's prophetic destiny for Paul's life. From the very beginning, God said, this is what you're going to do. I know you were a zealous Pharisee who was killing Christians. However, once he realized that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah, he got on a whole other mission in life. And God started to meet him and do things through him and around him. And God used him to bring him to Rome to testify to Caesar and in front of Caesar's court. So there's a reason and a purpose for all this. And Paul is fulfilling what I would call a prophetic destiny. God spoke it and he's fulfilling it. Uh, Something about that in our lives to not lose touch with. God has a prophetic destiny for everyone. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has plans. He knew the plans he had for us while we were being formed in our mother's wombs, it says in Psalms. God's got a plan for people's life and life starts to happen when you get in on that plan. Well, Paul's walking it out. He's living it. And in this case, he finally gets to Rome. Now, since he's not a violent criminal, he hasn't done anything wrong, but he does have an appeal in place. He's under Roman guard, but he's allowed to live in his own rented house, which I think is pretty cool. He's got his own place after a shipwreck and everything else. He's finally got his own place in Rome. And the cool thing about this, as soon as he gets his home, the first thing he starts doing in his home, starts ministering to people. Right away, he gets a rented house. Day one, he's ministering to people. It's pretty amazing how he uses his home. If you look at the book of Acts and how people were ministered to, uh, there were times in Ephesians where Paul was renting a hall, much like we're doing today. We rent a hall. It's about $1,000 every week to just rent a hall. You can find a hall somewhere to rent, or, and if you can't, you can meet under an oak tree, or you can meet in a cathedral. You can meet anywhere you, you can meet. The church isn't the building. It's the people of God. But we meet in a place, either a rented hall or in a house. And if you look at the book of Acts, they were meeting in rented halls and in houses. Sometimes they would meet in the synagogue. If the synagogue, they were open to the message of Jesus, they'd continue to meet there. If not, they'd meet in rented halls and in houses. I want to suggest something to you today. If you want to know about being in Acts chapter 29 church, if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down, is to to use your home for the glory of God. Use your home for the glory of God. A lot of folks don't really think about using their home for the glory of God. I suggest that if Jesus is the Lord of your life and he's given you a home, an apartment, if you a dorm room, whatever you have, to use that for the glory of God. It's really important to do. Use your home for the glory of God. That's the first thing that Paul did when he arrived here. He arrived immediately. He's inviting people to come in. On that note of using your home for the glory of God, there's a story of a gal named Murdy Howell. She was a devoted Christian woman. She had lived a hard life. Her family was very poor. When she was 10, she quit school and went to work in a steel mill for 10 cents a day. She married at age 17, but in early 1940, her husband was killed in an accident. And when that happened, she lost her home. And she had to go back to work to support herself and her three kids. 
Years later, her declining health forced her to move into an old high-rise nursing home. A few weeks later, her youngest son died. And that's when she fell into depression. She said, Lord, what more can I do for you? I've lost everything that has ever meant something to me. And now I'm stuck in this dark, dreary room. I have nothing left to live for. I want to die. I've had enough of this prison. Take me home. Then God spoke to her as clear as possible. He said, I'm not through with you yet, Murdy. Write to prisoners. So she wrote a letter to the Atlanta Penitentiary. And this is what the letter said. Dear inmate, I am a grandmother who loves and cares for you. I'm willing to be a friend. If you'd like to hear from me, write me. I will answer every letter you write. A Christian friend, Grandma Hal. The letter was given to the prison chaplain, and he gave her the names of eight prisoners so she could write to them. Prison Fellowship gave her some more names, and soon she was corresponding with up to 40 inmates a day. She became a one-woman ministry reaching into prisons all over America. She said, I thought my life was over, but these past few years have been the most fulfilling years of my life. Murdy Howe became a great missionary for God out of a one-room apartment. Amen. Use your home for the glory of God. Use your apartment for the glory of God. Use your dorm room for the glory of God. We think of someday, well, if I had this, and if I was wealthy, I would do this, and if I make it in the movie industry, if my idea... No, no. Use what you have for the glory of God. There's so many times in Scripture, you look at Moses and God coming up to Moses. He's like, lead my, how am I going to do that? Well, what do you have in your hand, Moses? Well, a staff. Start with the staff. Use that for the glory of God. And I would suggest with our homes, we take this for granted, but there is more ministry that can happen in a home than can happen in a church. This is like the, the, the fellowship gathering of the week. But during the week with your neighbors and friends and families and all those other relationships you have, people from the workplace, there's way more profound life change that can happen in that environment. Paul knows that. First thing, he's got people coming into his home. We're all called to the mission field. I think we make the mistake of thinking that the mission field is somewhere out there. The mission field's like on the other side of the planet. When we think mission field, we think, what is that, over in Asia somewhere? Is that like in India Africa, where's the, you know, the 1040 window, the, the Arabic countries, is that the mission field? No, I would suggest to you the mission field is right here, right now, not just the third world country. Your home, that's your ministry office. Your kitchen table, that's where you run your hospitality ministry out of. Your favorite living room chair, that's your pulpit. Sitting down in your favorite living room chair. Your bedroom, that's where your prayer ministry goes down. The inner room, no one's around. You seek God, you intercede. That's where your prayer ministry, your garage, especially gentlemen, that's where your outreach ministry happens. That's where you invite the kid over who lives down the street who doesn't even have a father and you help him fix his flat tire because he's got no one else to do it. That's the outreach ministry in your home, the garage. And your car, that's the ministry vehicle. Consider it the church bus. I don't care if you got a minivan or a Prius, it doesn't matter. Consider it the church bus. So you got to start with what you have. You got to start with your home. Use your home for the glory of God because you and I can be a missionary without even leaving town. And I think that's the way God designs it for the Acts 29 church. Really important. So make note of that. In fact, I would suggest God knows we are here right now for a reason with a purpose. We were made for such a time as this. We live in the second largest city in the United States. We live in the influence capital of planet Earth. 
There's more movies, songs, and everything and commercials that come out of this town than anywhere on the globe. I think I've told you before, I've been up at the Sea of Galilee on my acoustic guitar playing over on the streets out there, and I had these little Palestinian kids come up to me and say, Guns N' Roses, Metallica? Guns N' Roses, Metallica? I'm like, what do these kids know about Guns N' Roses? I mean, I'm on the other side of the globe, and they're asked, because it comes from here. So I busted out a little knocking on heaven's door, you know, which they could relate to. But it's amazing. Our influence goes around the world. It's amazing to me. So, so I would suggest that we are, whether you know it or not, urban missionaries. Say that word with me, urban missionaries. We're all urban missionaries. God's calling all of us to be urban missionaries, not necessarily a 1040 window on the other side of the planet, but urban missionaries right here, right now, wherever we're at. We're living in a sprawling city that just doesn't seem to end. It's almost connected from San Diego all the way to Ventura. It just almost doesn't end. It's just a big, sprawling urban setting. So we are urban missionaries. I think that's important. And on that note of being urban missionaries, I want to show you something that Paul did. Paul, when he gets this rented house, the first thing he did, the first thing he did is he went and invited people to come to his house. Now, when we think of how God will use us talking to people, we usually say, well, if the opportunity opens up. I mean, if, if, if the opportunity opens up and someone asks me a question, well, then, then I'll share my faith. And that, that's good. That's good that you're willing to do that. But I want to show you something about Paul here. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He went to people. There's something powerful about that, especially if you're praying about God, who should I go to? Because God's already preparing hearts of people. And if you ask him, Lord, who should I go to? He will have you go to people who he's already been working out stuff in their life. He's already been, you know, shaking things up in a way where God's getting their attention and they're open and they're pliable. So I would suggest to do what Paul did. Paul makes the first move and he invites people to his house. And since we're talking about an urban setting, point number two this morning is don't be afraid to bust a move. Don't be afraid to bust a move with people. When it comes to talking to somebody, reaching out, don't be afraid to be the first one to bust a move. A lot of people are like, I don't want to do anything. I'll wait till somebody comes here or if they ask me. No, that's not what Paul did. And I'd suggest if we're going to be an Acts 29 church, you can't be afraid to bust a move. When it comes to making the first step, opening the door, inviting someone over, pray about who? Pray about God who's open. God, who's on the top of the list? I can't reach the world, but I can reach one. Lord, who is on the top of the list? He might remind you that person at work or that person down the street is really going through it right now. They're in a vulnerable place in life and they need my love and no one's telling them about me. Will you? And all of a sudden, your home becomes the place of ministry. You invite them in. You get to bust a move, kind of like what Paul did here. A lot of fruit in that. And the people that he's meeting with, these are Jewish uh, religious leaders who are saying, we haven't heard about you, Paul. We didn't know you were actually coming to Jerusalem, and we didn't know there were charges against you. And so that's probably the good news. Uh, the bad news is we've heard something about this new sect, S-E-T-C, sect, this sect of Judaism, and we're not really sure what to do. It's causing a disruption. And this sect stands for a section. There's a section of the Jewish faith the Jewish faith today, you can look at Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, Hasidic, Reformed. There's all kinds of Judaism. And, and back then, it, there was varying levels of it as well. But they're saying there's a sect. There's a section of Judaism. And we've heard about it, Paul. And it's causing some disruption. 
And so we're willing to hear from you. Now, this section is what we would call Messianic Jews. These are Jews who believe the Messiah came. Again, the faith originated with the Jewish people. The Jewish Messiah came up through the Jewish people. All the early believers were all Jewish people. And there were others going, yeah, I'm not really, I'm going to, I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe they never saw him and they never observed him. They're only hearing the message. And they said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that. So you have a lot of Jews who are accepting the Messiah, other Jews who are not. And that's where the, the tension is here. I would suggest to you that a Messianic Jew, a Jew who believes Messiah came, is a completed Jew as, as far as the call of God. God loves his people, the chosen people. He's had promises to them forever. He finally sends the long-awaited king, King Jesus. And those who accept and receive him become completed Jews. And us Gentiles, by the way, if you weren't raised Jewish, that makes you a Gentile. Us Gentiles were grafted in, grafted in. If you know anything about plants, you can take like an orange tree, for an example, and you can cut the branch at an angle. And what you can do is take another lemon tree branch and actually tie it to the orange tree, and lemons are going to grow off of your orange tree. You can actually graft fruit like that. In fact, on a citrus tree, you can put oranges, you can put lemons, you can put uh, grapefruit, you can put all kinds of citrus on the same tree. Same root system, different fruit coming out. The Bible says you and I were grafted in to the original root of Israel, so to speak. Romans 11, if you want to read more about that, tells us how that happens. And so what I love about this group of people that he's talking to, they come to him and they're sincere and they say, we want to hear your views, Paul. We want to hear your views. We're, we're open to what your views are. And to be honest with you, that's all we can ask for. People that are just open. If you know people that are shut down and they have no place for it, that's probably not the best place to spend a lot of time, you know, trying to get the message across. Pray for them. God will soften their heart eventually. But I would say people that are open... That's perfect. All you can ask for is people that are open to the gospel message. I'm open. I don't know much about it. I'm willing to hear it. These guys said, we are willing to hear your views. It's very cool. Moves on in verse 23. It says, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. The thing you got to know about Paul, and you'll see this throughout the book of Acts, he's got this mode in his life, the mode that he operates. And he says this himself. He says, I become all things to all men, so by all possible means, some might be saved. So when he's dealing with the Jewish religious leadership, he gets right into Jewish rabbi mode. He is straight up rabbi. He's from a rabbinical school like them. He doesn't talk about any philosophy or any kind. He, he takes out the Old Testament, the Torah, and he studied in the same thing. And he reasons with them on the same level they are. When he's talking to a bunch of Greek people that are immersed in philosophy, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, this kind of stuff, he's not using the Old Testament. They, don't, they never read it. They don't know about it. He talks reason with them because they're into things that are reason. They're into thought-provoking. So he starts talking about the reasonableness of our God creator and purpose and design to kind of communicate to people. And then when you think about yourself, I don't know what level you feel most comfortable if you were to talk to somebody and present uh, Jesus to people. Would you be more comfortable using scripture, meeting somebody there? Maybe some of you would be more 
uh, comfortable approaching them from a philosophical standpoint on design, creator, universe, order, you know, uh, purpose in life, what's afterlife, maybe on this level is more resonating with you. Uh, and maybe some of you, it might be more apologetics, where you get into the proofs, the proofs of things, the proofs of design, the proof that nothing from nothing equals nothing. And when you think of evolution and a, and a slime pond getting hit with cosmic lightning, people didn't start walking out of that nor did their ancestors. It just doesn't happen that way. So when you think about categories of communicating, I don't know which one you feel you might be better in, but Paul became all things to all men. And when he was talking to certain people, he would get into this mode to communicate. When he was talking to a different kind of group, he was able to switch. He was able to be flexible and not be so rigid. And when you're really rigid, it can be very um, narrow-minded to some people because we want to meet people where they're at. You know, Jesus with the children drops down on a knee. Come on, kids, gather around me. Other people, Pharisees, he's like, you got, he's telling them about their own law, asking them questions that they don't have down. The woman at the well, reasoning with her on a different level. Just different people, different situations. And he, we see the flexibility in his approach to, to reach people. Paul did the same thing. And I would suggest this morning, if you're a note taker, here's our third point. If you want to be... In Acts 29 type of church, it's uh, you got to become all things to all men. So by all possible means, some might be saved. you got to be flexible in your approach. Um, this is important. This is 1 Corinthians 9.22, by the way. To become all things, what does it mean for you to become what you need to become in the workplace? For the guy or the gal in the next cubicle who's going through it, what, what, what does it take to reach into their world where they're at? Not speaking Christianese, foreign language to somebody. Not, you know... What does it take to step over the line into their world with the love of God? What does it take for the kid down the street? What does it take for a family member? What does it take for a neighbor? Uh, All these different people in our life with different kind of approaches to life. What does it take for us to really meet them where they're at? And I would suggest it takes being prayed up and flexible in the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to become all things to all men, I believe that is the way that the world will know. A little flexibility in that. And so if you're talking ministering to a hip-hop crowd, you've got to communicate that way. If you're talking to a bunch of little skaters, you're talking that way. I mean, there's a, such a diverse world we live in. You're talking to techie people, and everyone's got their different you know, way of dialogue and stuff. And I think it's important to be understanding of where people are at and just come to them on their level and ask God to help you communicate that way. Well, that's what he did, and he went on to try to persuade them. In fact, what it says he persuaded them about, I love it, it says... He used the law of Moses and the prophets, which is their Old Testament, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus the Messiah, what he was going to do, where he was going to be born, and the things he was going to fulfill are all through the Old Testament. And this side of the cross, looking back, it's clear as day. But the folks on this side, they weren't really sure. They were looking at maybe the Messiah will do this, maybe he'll do this, and they were a little confused. Paul is convinced. Paul's a guy who said, I missed it too. I missed him. I didn't know he was the Messiah. I started chasing down Christians until God woke me up. And now I see clear as day. And he's going back to these folks saying, I was just like you. And he's explaining from scripture to them. And uh, we know that some of them were convinced and others were not. It moves on in verse 25 and it says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors When he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but not understanding. 
you'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He's quoting Isaiah chapter six right here about prophetic, this was a prophecy about Israel that some are gonna accept Messiah and some are gonna refuse and reject Messiah. This was even written in Isaiah And some people did, in fact, refuse, and some today will refuse no matter what. God gives the reason why. And you might want to underline it in in your Bible, but it says their heart has become calloused. Heart has become calloused. That's a huge statement right there, and there's so much that hinges on the condition of a heart. So much hinges on that. In this case here, the Greek word for calloused means it's so thick that you can't even feel anything. Imagine somebody asking you to feel something and see if you can feel a little something, but, but you're doing it with a big pair of like snow gloves or big snow mittens. You wouldn't be able to feel anything. So thick you can't feel. That's exactly what he's saying. He's like, their heart is just so callous, so thick, that, so thick that they can't even feel anything. And what he's saying in a nutshell is, these people have hardened their hearts so much that they can no longer hear me speak to them. This is God speaking in this passage in Isaiah, I would suggest to you that the condition of the heart, whether it's a hardened heart, calloused heart, or a soft heart that's open, is all the difference in the world between hearing the voice of God, hearing God, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you, we sing, seeing God through our heart, feeling God, sensing God through our heart. It all hinges on the condition of our heart. If a heart is calloused, He's basically saying their heart's callous. They don't even, not even hearing me. Yet other people, when they get to a place where they're like, Lord, take away a heart of stone, which Jesus says he'll do. Give me a heart of flesh. I want to be able to sense you. Some people, they limit their faith to their intellect and only what they can understand. And by definition, that's not faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. You don't see and understand everything. You walk in the invisible. That's what faith is. But you're trusting God and you sense that God's doing something. Again, we we do this according to the word and the spirit, but so much of it comes from a sensitive heart. A sensitive heart going, yeah, Lord, I sense you impressing on my heart. Have you heard this terminology? God put this on my heart. Most people say God put it on my brain. God put it on my heart. Because you're praying, you're asking God to show you and he impresses things on your heart. You have a sense in your heart. And that's the way God moves on people. And what he's saying right here is um, that our hearts can get calloused, our hearts can get hardened and we have to be careful it doesn't happen to us. I see Christians that over time their heart can start to get hard and it's not good. God wants to take away a heart of stone. He wants to give us a heart of flesh. He's trying to keep our heart in a pliable place a place that's sensitive, that's not calloused. And when it is, we get to hear from him. We get to understand, we get to see some things through what he's doing through our heart. But when we don't, we miss out, just like this prophecy right here. And it's really, really important. Uh, It's been said that our hearts set the standard for what we can see. Certainly, according to Isaiah, our hearts do set the standard for what we can hear. He's saying when their hearts are calloused, they're not even hearing me. And he says, if they would, I love what he says, 
if they would understand with their hearts, again, not their brain, if they would understand with their hearts and simply turn, he says, I would heal them. He's talking about, the Greek here is is referring to, I will make them whole. In other words, their heart's not even whole. Their heart's fractured. Their Their heart isn't even designed the way the heart was supposed to be through the eyes of God. And if they would simply begin to soften it and just turn, I will make them whole. He's talking about making their heart whole. And if you've had an experience in life where you've come and you've accepted Christ, you begin to understand that God is in the business of wholeness. God is in the business of restoration. And that's where people get the phrase that we all have a hole in our heart that God wants to fill. You know that phrase? You're like, well, where's that in the Bible? Where does it say there's a hole in our... Well, right here. If they would turn and understand with their heart, I would make them whole. If they would soften their heart to hear my voice and to turn, I am going to restore that heart. And that's basically what God is in the business of doing. I love that. Through Jesus, hearts are made whole. Souls that were broken get restored. God is completely in the business of wholeness. You know, we talk holistic. God was talking holistically way before anybody else was. God's in the business of wholeness of of the human being and restoring what was broken way back at the beginning in Genesis. Some were calloused, but others believed. Some people were hardened and they were critical and they were just shut down and others were open to the Holy Spirit and they believed. And that hinges on so much. I would say that's the fourth step this morning, the fourth point is to develop an even greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. A sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's something, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says of the Holy Spirit that his ministry is to come alongside you you and I, that he comforts, he counsels, he guides. How can he do that in your life and in mine if we're not sensitive to him? He can't. Because we're like, I got it. I got it figured out. We're kind of rigid in what we're doing. We got it figured out. We're not flexible. We, we got it all filtered through this brain, which is extremely limited. No matter what your IQ is in this room this morning, this brain is extremely limited compared to the calling of God and what God can do. And it comes through a sensitivity to what is the Holy Spirit saying? What is the Holy Spirit doing? That's why the Bible says again and again and again and again, those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is doing, let them hear. And others are going with a calloused heart, going, what? I'm not hearing nothing. And others are going, no, I, I, I sense the Holy Spirit leading in this direction or guiding me to do this or pick up the phone and call that person because the Holy Spirit's speaking to hearts. But if hearts are calloused, no one's hearing anything. And that's exactly why Scripture says, those who have ears to hear. So develop an even greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Very, very important. So much victory lies in that level of sensitivity. So much victory and fruit in your life and in mine depends on our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And the more open and sense, and you always test it with the word. If you feel something on your heart, you check the word because you want to make sure it's God. The Spirit of God authored scripture and the Spirit of God speaks to hearts. And so you check it with the word, you test it with the word. But the fact is, we got to develop that sensitivity to the Spirit. Some guys in the story, they got in on King Jesus. Other guys didn't, and the difference was a calloused heart or an open and sensitive heart, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, and he goes, since you guys are rejecting God's message, not all of them, but a group of them, he's like, God's going to take this message to the Gentiles. This is where like a light switch, where it got flipped 
in the history of the church where it was all Jews. He would go right to synagogues. He was reaching Jewish people everywhere, first always right to the synagogue, everywhere he went, started in Jerusalem. That's the capital, the central of Jewish worship, and everything began right there and started to go out. But at this point, there are many Jews who have accepted Messiah, but there are also a lot more who didn't. And this is when God is telling him, even from the beginning, God said, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And so at this point, he announces, he proclaims to these guys, you guys had the first opportunity. You're God's chosen people. He still, he still offers that opportunity, but he, does, he did say, at this point, it's, we're going to the Gentiles. And when we look at history of Israel, Jonah was a Jewish prophet. He didn't want to go to Gentiles. He wanted to keep it to the Jewish people. Even Jesus the Christ didn't leave Israel and go off to the Gentiles. He stuck with the Jewish people. There were some Gentiles who came to him and he loved them and ministered to him. But he said, my mission wasn't to go out to the Gentiles. It started with the Jewish people. And finally, the church is growing and growing beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's going further now. And finally, we see it's official that the Gentiles are included. Very cool stuff. Um, Jeremiah 31. If you have Jewish friends, you might want to write the scripture down. Jeremiah 31. Verse 31 through 33, this is such a cool passage if you have Jewish friends that you care for and that you love because they don't know that a New Testament is coming. If you were to ask them, do you know God's going to make a new covenant and a New Testament? There's the Old Testament, the Torah. Do you know that he's going to make a new one? No. No one told me that. Well, it's it's in your Bible. It's in your Torah. God's going to make a new testament, a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. It's not going to be like that one. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's a time coming where there's going to be a new covenant. We call it the New Testament. It's through Jesus, the new way of forgiveness, not the old way, the new way. And through that one, God's going to write things on our hearts. And we know when we accept Christ, turn and follow, he puts his spirit in us. He does a whole new thing on the hearts of people that was not done in the Old Testament. It wasn't available. It's only available through the new covenant. Um, Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Again, if you, you might want to write that down if you have Jewish friends, Isaiah 49, 6. When he says, I want you to bring my salvation to the Gentiles, you know what the, the Hebrew word is right here? Yahshua, Jesus. It says in Isaiah 49, if you're serious and looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, I want you to bring my Yahshua, Jesus, the salvation of Jesus to the ends of the earth. I mean, it's throughout Scripture. Anybody willing to consider um, the claims of Christ will find out that he is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. It's really cool stuff. Uh, Our text moves on in verse 30. It's the last passage, and it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so here he is, he's awaiting trial, he's in this little rented house he's got, he's ministering to all the people who came, he's got a captive audience, and uh, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, he's telling these people this, look, all you guys, most of the people coming were Jewish people, and he's saying the kingdom of God has come. 
It might not have came the way you thought it was going to come, but it came. And it's evidenced in miracles and signs and there's all kinds of ways it came. There's a freedom available. There's a forgiveness available. But he's telling them, you can no longer step at the outside and look at it. You either get into the kingdom or you don't. And he's telling them, it's offered to you right now, the kingdom of God. Again, they, they knew the kingdom would come, but they were like, when it comes, isn't that going to be like judgment day? Isn't it not going to be? No, that's the kingdom part two. There's the kingdom of God part one and the kingdom of God part two. When Jesus came, his kingdom of God part one. And when he comes back, we're going to see part two go down. But the Jewish people, when they looked at the, the Old Testament, they put it all together and they assumed it was a single cataclysmic event and it didn't happen the way they thought, including Paul. But now Paul can separate the events and go, oh yeah, the Old Testament says this and it also says this. They're not one and the same. They're two different points in time. And the kingdom of God, he's preaching to these guys and it's available. Well, as the worship team comes up, I just want to close on a few notes here. We don't understand why things happen. Paul is in a rented house. He's going to wait there till his trial. We find out from history he gets freed. But while he's there, he ends up writing the book of Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians from this little rented house that he's in. How cool is that? I mean, I'm glad he had time in that rented house because I just read Philippians yesterday. I really enjoy that letter. Um, He wrote things that the Spirit of God moved through him and they're still given life today. And that's what's amazing about God's purpose and plan that we don't always understand. God used even this little rented house to minister to people and write a big chunk of the New Testament for you and I. It's very, very cool. And how would we uh, summarize this book of Acts? There's a lot of ways you could summarize it. One way is this. The Savior went up, the Spirit came down, the church went out, and the lost came in. That's what we see throughout this whole book of Acts. Very cool summary. And one thing we see really clearly is Luke, the author here, he doesn't tell us what happened to the main characters. Now, when you see a movie, it wraps up. You know where it ended up. You know what happened to the main characters. Some of them went on, rode off in the sunset. Other ones died, whatever. You know how it ends up. And if it doesn't tell you how it ends up, you know there's going to be a sequel, right? There's got to be a sequel. I mean, come on, you can't leave it like that. Well, guess what? In the book of Acts, Peter, Paul, John, these guys that we think are the main characters, they're not the main characters. Do you know who's the main character in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. And that's why the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end in Acts chapter 28. There is an Acts chapter 29. And it's you and it's me. It's us. We're the Acts chapter 29 church, guys. And churches all over this city and all over this country and world that believe in the resurrected Jesus and the word of God, the authority of it and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the Acts 29 church. And so the story is still being written. We are the sequel. Do you know that? We're living out the sequel, guys. The Spirit of God in your life and in mine, if we're sensitive and open to what course he puts us on, then we are the sequel. We're living it out. And guess what? It is being recorded. It's being recorded. The sequel is happening and we're living it out right now. I think it's amazing. It's explosive. We get to finish the story. So I want to close in prayer right now. And I just want to encourage you guys to take your part, maybe get to a place in your life going, God, I've been observing the kingdom. I appreciate, I acknowledge you, 
but I want to jump in with both feet and I even want to go public for you. I want to live out Acts 29 church. I want to, I want to be the Acts 29 church. When I get to heaven looking back, I don't want to have regrets of why did I waste all that time and opportunity Let me be one who made the most of every opportunity. And I think if that's your heart, I believe God will answer and bless that today. So let's uh, let's close in prayer on that note. Mighty God, we love you. We love your word. We love the power of your word. I thank you that we get to be the Acts 29 church, that we get to live out the sequel of this book, that we get to do it through the main character who is your Holy Spirit. And you said of your Holy Spirit, you said, I will never leave or forsake you. Uh, You say, Lord God, you are the great I am the one who was and is and is to come, you say, surely I'll be with you even to the end of this age, that, Lord, you don't leave your people as orphans, Lord. We, like the early church, get to navigate life with your Holy Spirit, and I thank you. I thank you for that, Lord. So have your way with us, Lord God. Lead us in all truth, Lord. I want to pray uh, for those today, Lord God, who haven't had a date in history where they've stepped over the line and say, yeah, Jesus, my heart, Uh, I'm hearing you today. It might have been a little callous, but today I'm hearing you loud and clear, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I I, I hear you. I want to get off the throne. I want to make you the Lord. I want to turn and follow you. Would you begin to restore this heart? Would you begin to put some wholeness back in this heart according to your design? I want to turn. I want to follow you. Give me your spirit. Lead me and guide me. I don't have it all down. I just admit I'm a sinner, and I ask you to take it away. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave. I just want to follow you, God. Help me. And if that's your prayer and your plea to God this morning, he will honor that. Please tell me or someone you came with, we can help you on your journey in the faith. And Lord, the rest, Lord, in this room, I just pray there'd be another level, another step of passion and power that we could begin to walk out the fulfillment of this sequel, that we would walk out Acts chapter 29 in explosive ways, that we wouldn't just exist, but that we would fully live for the glory of God. So help us and empower your people to be the sequel. Let us be the sequel for your glory and for your namesake. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.